Today's episode of The Ringer FC is about to get started, but before we do, let's talk a little bit about things happening on TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network. It's March Madness. Upsets are happening. This is March. Listen to Titus and Tate on One Shining Podcast. They have got you covered. They can explain why Virginia lost. They can explain why Florida State won. They've got the bags. They've got the goods. (laughs) Titus and Tate, One Shining Podcast. It's the number one college basketball podcast for the Ringer FC listener. Also for lots of other listeners. Also, while I have your attention, Ringer.com has plenty of good uh, soccer coverage. Ryan, what's, what's a blog post that they should read? The post I wrote last week about how the final score of a soccer game doesn't matter. That's ah, advanced. That's yep. expert stuff. Okay, so One Shining Podcast, check out Ryan's post on why results don't really matter in soccer. That's not a joke. Absolutely not. And we'll get into the podcast now. And welcome to Ringer FC. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan O'Hanlon. We're going to be joined by Donnie Kwok in a second to talk about Jose Mourinho's meltdown after Manchester United's victory over Brighton in the FA Cup. We'll also be joined by Micah Peters to talk Mo Salah and Mauro Cardi. And Matt James will join us later on to talk a little bit about Atlanta United and MLS. All right, uh, Ryan and I are now joined by Donnie Kwok to talk to us about Jose Mourinho and his inability to be happy with life, even though his Manchester United team is uh, likely going to qualify for the Champions League next year. They're in the semifinals of the FA Cup, but they went crashing out of the Champions League to Sevilla after losing at home, and Jose sort of protected his players after that Sevilla game. I mean, he was more critical of the heritage. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's football heritage. Heritage. (laughs) We're going to do a lot of Jose Mourinho's imitations here so just be warned you can just hit skip now if you want because this dude's been talking so after beating brighton two nothing in the fa cup quarters to get into the semis jose unloaded on his squad like hardcore and there are a lot of differing opinions about this on one hand i feel like i've been in uh the same episode of the same sitcom for 10 or 11 years now yeah. where he just does this he just he just gets unhappy in his third season and he tries to almost self-sabotage his way out of a club but I have a theory about this Let's but before my theory I just want to get, read you some, some of the hits from after Brighton's game here okay yeah I am not happy there was a lack of personality a lack of class a lack of desire those are three things you really want to see in a football team so if he is a lack of those that's bad my calculation is that without pressure they don't perform well so what can I lose and the ones that are always there are the ones that will always be there and that is the example of personality the basic thing is to keep emotional balance hmm keep emotional balance (laughs) to play with that red shirt which is a heavy shirt to wear but to not feel comfortable to play saying, please, mister, take me from the pitch. I felt that. So I have nothing to lose in relation to that. The strong ones will always be the strong ones. The young ones under pressure and under criticism will improve or not improve. Modic was an island of personality <laughs> and quality. This is pretty much sustained, by the way. But a few of the other guys, I saw them scared to play. <coughs> Luke Shaw. <coughs> Look, I cannot say much more. Really. You cannot say much more. I think it is in relation with personality, in relation to trust, in relation to class. And you know when the sun is shining and football, the sun is shining when everything goes well, you win matches, you score goals, everything goes in direction. 
every player is a good player and every player wants to play and every player wants the ball and every player is confident to play and every player looks amazing. When it is dark and cold and that <laughs> is football means a period of bad results or a bad result like what happened to us a few days ago. So you are mad about Sevilla, aren't you? <laughs> Not everybody has the confidence and the personality to play, really. Because to be on the pitch and touch the ball every five minutes, anyone can do it. But to be on the pitch and say, give me the ball because I want to play. That's a little bit more difficult. Not all of them were able to do it. David Mamet, 1998. <laughs> yeah, two things real quick. First of all, this this rant wasn't nearly as good as the I Am Alive football heritage rant, but this, this one was more recent. And then the second thing I just thought of is I think Chris is kind of the Matic to Bill's Jose. <laughs> An island of quality. Thank you, Donnie. That's, that's the rudest thing you've ever said. What's the... Remember when uh, Jose at Chelsea subbed Matic on at halftime and then subbed him off? Yeah. What, what was the version of that with you and Bill? Uh, I think it's probably when I didn't get to do the Creed rewatchables. <laughs> 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 After buying Creed on iTunes and preparing to do it, and then they picked to do it the day I left town. <laughs> that was ill. That was definitely getting yanked at halftime. Um, okay, you guys want to hear my theory about this? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Jose Mourinho goes through these three-year cycles Ever since he left Chelsea the first time, generally what happens is he sh- shows up somewhere. The first year is the rebuild. The second year is the shining cathedral in the city, top of the city. And then the third year is the meltdown. Sometimes he makes it through that third year. Usually he does not. Okay, so he's been to Inter. He's been to Real Madrid. He went back to Chelsea. Now he's at Manchester United. This seems to be the third se- season meltdown gone completely unstable reactor, right? Like this seems to be a, a critical situation. I think he's doing this on purpose. Of course. And I think that the reason he's doing this is because he feels how heavy the shirt is, too. Because there are still people out there who think that it's the theater of dreams and it's sweeping, entertaining football with young players that's supposed to just bowl over Europe and blow people away. And I think what he is trying to do is actually just do like a skin graft on this club and he's going to say like if you guys want to win champions leagues if you guys want to win the premier leagues if you want to compete with pep get used to this get used to me parking buses get used to me nullifying the opposition get used to me denigrating 100 million pound center center midfielders who don't stand where i want them to stand and that's what i have to do to get this club Maybe not back to the place that you have it in your imagination in terms of the style of play, but back into the to the amount of trophies in the trophy cabinet. Either uh, that, or he just wants to he he wants to just be the 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 Qatari national manager and get fired. Now. I mean, I, to me, it seems like he's more uh, one coming to the realization that uh, maybe he just isn't fit for this era and with this with hasn't this won club. a Champions League knockout game and in four years. he's just lowering expectations I mean the 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 other rant he went on which I guess was literally a day before this one where he just <laughs> sat down and essentially essentially just told us that Manchester United was a small club uh-huh um and he compared Manchester United to Sevilla and Sevilla's you know won the Europa League a bunch of times um but then last year they're in the Champions League and they get knocked out by Leicester, which we're just not even going to talk about. He's essentially telling us that it made sense that Manchester United lost to Sevilla. There was no, like, it's unacceptable that we lost to this team with a fucking negative goal differential in Spain (laughs) that just fired their manager like two months ago. It's 
That just Mench- lost over the weekend to and just lost over yeah, the weekend. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's like maybe it's him sort of expectation um, adjusting, but it's like he's really trying to convince us that Manchester United, one, doesn't have the players to compete, and then two, just which doesn't have the recent what history he said to about compete. City, where he was just like, we we economically can't compete with City. And the one thing that was interesting that he said, which after is the, not I true, I think the Sevilla game. That's not that's definitely not true. And the one thing that was interesting that he said about the Sevilla game was this idea that the people, the players who have gotten City to the place that they are at, are Silva, uh, I guess company. You know, um, a couple of the guys who have been around for three, four, five years, and that they have this tradition of excellence <laughs> in Manchester City. Donnie, what's with all the excuses? Do you think he's trying to talk his way out of a job, or do you think he's trying to burn the crops? Well, that's what, to your idea of that being, uh, you know, your theory that he's planning what a skin graft or whatever you called it. I don't, you know, he knows he, he he's not going to last long enough for him to, you know, like make that transformation the fans are going to turn on him um you know it's like he's always sold himself as being uh, a manager that gets results and so even if it's boring you still get the results still get the silverware but once you don't get the silverware or don't get the results then all you're left with is boring football and that's when the fans turn on you but i feel like you know i was talking to ryan about this before that if jose could i don't know if his ego is too big to do this but if he were to pull a Rafa and go to a club that's not Manchester United or not even a top six club in the premiership, he could really, I think that's where his strengths will, are kind of in galvanizing underdogs and like us against the world and that, and that sort of thing. So I, my dream would be for him to go to like, I don't know, Ryan, you mentioned like West Ham or someplace like that and kind of like turn a team of kind of you know, misfits and underdogs until like a go top back six to Porto, contender. basically. Yeah, yeah. Go, go back to go back to the Porto days. I mean, look, Rafa managed at Chelsea, managed Real Madrid, Liverpool. I mean, now he's at Newcastle, and and basically he's probably has the most sec- one of the most secure jobs. I mean, as far as like not getting fired, he might leave. I mean, yeah, I sure. I, I I take your point. I think that that's an interesting way of looking at Jose. I, I think you could actually apply that to most of the big time man. I, I would love to see what Pep did at. Even Roma, you know what I mean. I would yeah. love to see Pep at a uh, a slightly smaller club where he didn't have KDB, Silva, Jesus, Sane, you know, and Aguero to play with, yeah. and 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 that would be incredible. I, I there's an interesting run of games coming up for Manchester United where I th- I wonder whether or not Jose is somewhat counting on this where they have this break. Then there's like West Ham, Swansea, obviously the Derby, which was supposed to be the title decider, but probably is not going to be. Then West Brom, Spurs in the FA Cup, Bournemouth, Arsenal, which is typically an ass whipping for Jose against Arson, uh, Brighton, Watford. So they could feasibly win all but one of their remaining matches. Yeah. And win the FA Cup, which would be second by a mile. And lift a piece of silverware. <laughs> and then Wenger, uh, Mourinho has officially become Wenger, where he's pointing to the <laughs> FA Cup as uh, the reason that he should still it's be funny. Everyone's turning into Wenger now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Donnie, do you have anything else you wanted to add about Jose here? No, I really just recommend everybody. I know the 12-minute the, the rant uh, has made the rounds and, and, and been written about, but I really encourage people to watch it because it's probably – it's going to go down in history as one of the greatest coach speeches ever, I think. 
We, it was just. It was just. I mean, I know it's been kind of debunked. I, I've read some fact checking of it, and, and some of his facts were a little bit off. But just the way he delivered it, the dramatic pauses, uh, it was just. It was just human theater. Okay, so you may have noticed that we haven't had the Manchester United fan of the Ringer FC podcast chiming yet. He's been sh- he's been training with the under nineteens. <laughs> he's been. <laughs> He's, he's, Chris he's told just, me I couldn't eat with the first team today. No, um, we just wanted to get. Off. A, we wanted to diversify opinions about different topics, just like but, but the floor is yours. How are you? Um, you know, I'm struggling, uh, as you know anybody would be. Uh, I don't necessarily think that the fact checking of the 12 minute speech. Marino wasn't necessarily wrong. Manchester United has been underwhelming in Europe for quite some time now. That's true. Fans are being critical when you know res- when there's suddenly a break in results. That's true, but that's also football. And I mean, like it's just kind of like you see in the space of a week the very best and the absolute worst of Mourinho, where he like skillfully does. D- dismantles this Liverpool team. Everybody does exactly what they're supposed to do. You win 2-1. Sorry, guys. It's okay. Unfortunately, <clears throat> um, can't do that every week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, and it's just like you, you, you have these massive comeback wins over Crystal Palace and Chelsea, and then you go out and you just shit the bed against Sevilla. It's the fifth best team in Spain. And it's just kind of like, all right, let's... T- if you're talking about controlling the game... Leaving eight minutes to leaving eight minutes in the game, or you know, like leaving all of your attacking to the end of the sec the, the of the second of the two legs mm-hmm. is irresponsible. That's not controlling the outcome of the game. The later you wait, the more damaging every goal they score becomes. So if they score, which they did, obviously, you know, you vignette time, vignette time. <laughs> then I mean, it's just the fact that there's. There is not a dearth of talent on the team. It's just that no shit. Not being able to organize it is it, like it's just and so like in, with these long ass press conferences, he's just protecting himself. And it's yeah, every, instead of protecting his team, which is what he used to do. The, yeah, the what siege you, mentality. It, the weirdest part about this to me is like, you know, we've I've been talking about this all year, how their like actual performances are actually not good and They've been really lucky. De Gea has bailed them out a bunch of times. But they're still in second. So more like, points than Liverpool, more points than Spurs. Still. Exactly. So couldn't like what like couldn't Mourinho just be like, guys, like we're in second place. Like yeah, Manchester we're in City. We're in second place against Manchester City's having good Manchester yeah, City. Yeah, we're still in the FA Cup and like we fucked up against Sevilla. But instead but that's it's basically like, the football heritage speech. I'm saying it like in full <laughs> that's basically the football heritage speech. It, it, in a nutshell, the takeaway is kind of like some fucking perspective. There was a lot of words for it to only be that. It was extremely defensive also. It was extremely defensive, but but it's just like, you know, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. You know, everybody's so glued to what the last result says or what the last 30 minutes of the last result says. But that's like, like you're looking at the the small forest and then the farther you zoom out, you realize Manchester United owns like the rest of the forest that's outside of the binoculars that you're using. I think it's just the fact that I don't... Through, you know, your series of actions and the choices that you make with the things that you tell the press and the things that you tell your players 
and the gestures that you make on the touchlines that all of a sudden the only important thing, the, the most important things of the discussion are the team sheet before the game and your comments after the game and then complain about those being the only two things that anybody cares about. So you're mad. Snap poll. Is Mourinho managing Manchester United next season? <sighs> um... Is Mourinho managing Manchester United next season? I mean, like reports say that like the board is behind him yes. and not in favor of the players. So I think so. Do you want him to? No, Mike uh, Ryan. I definitely want him to. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but if, you, if you say if you say no, then who do you want to manage Manchester United? No, I don't think it's necessarily that. It's the fact that if I had to choose between Mourinho and Pogba, I will choose Pogba every time. If I'm going to build a, if I'm going to build around a centerpiece. I think he's he's going to be there, but I would say it's like 60-40 yeah. at this point. Yeah, uh, Donnie? Yeah, I think he's going to be there. I ride for Mourinho, man. I like Mourinho. <laughs> if Jose Mourinho's not on the hot seat, he's one of the few managers in the Premier League who is not. Right now, you've got yourself a top four with Tottenham on 61 points separating from uh, the pack with Chelsea at 56. And then below Chelsea is this glut of teams, Arsenal, Burnley, Leicester, Everton, Bournemouth, all the way down to the relegation zone. I like how you put Arsenal in there. Well, they are. I mean, it's not a top six. It's a top five, and I'm not trying to be a dick. It's 48 points. Arsenal on 48, and Everton in ninth on 40, and even Bournemouth on 36, which you know we can get into. I think everybody beneath, uh, well, everyone beneath Tottenham could see some sort of managerial upheaval in the, in, in the summer. Um, if not before, given how Stoke City and uh, Southampton have handled their business. So let's talk a little bit about why the Premier League has become the new Serie A when it comes to managerial turnover. Ryan, do you have any uh, out- outstanding theories about this? Uh, the, the-, the theory, I think, is that the sort of consolidation of the top six is probably plays a small part because it kind of drives... Drives everyone else crazy because kind of what are you... Right, the point total you would need to get in other seasons is now completely irrelevant. And then I think the other thing is that there's so much money and in a way it's maybe been a bad thing for these teams because they don't... In some ways they don't have to be smart about it because like Everton can sign a guy from, you know, a much better team in the German League or La Liga. Um (laughs) And they can just throw money at people and they don't have to be efficient with the way they spend it. But all of these teams have a ton of money. So it's sort of this like equal playing field basically beyond the top six. And for whatever reason, I still I'm not quite sure why this ha- this hasn't happened. None of these teams have basically been able to create some kind of coherent, sustainable system other than like Burnley. Right. <laughs> you know, right. And, it, and Burnley is the the example of Burnley's better players, or at least, yeah. at least Michael well, we Keane, should... tend to not be good once they leave the Burnley exactly. system. So the top six have the same managers. The three promoted teams have the same managers. Then uh, Burnley, who have a very sort of defined way mm-hmm. of playing. And Bournemouth, who also kind of have a defined way of playing, have their managers. Everyone else has gotten Everton, their manager. Everton, Watford, Hewton got is still there with Brighton, Rafa with Newcastle. I think Swansea's switched managers basically like five times. Five times? Like, I can't even think. <laughs> Huddersfield still has Wagner. Uh, Crystal Palace, I can't even keep track of how many times they've swapped managers. That, I mean, th- that's the thing that's so comical is that nine nine teams have switched managers midseason. Yeah, and this, they're all basically year. exactly where they were. And it's fucking Roy Hodgson, David Moyes, <laughs> Alan Pardew, Sam Allardyce. Mark Hughes, watching the FA Cup this weekend and seeing Mark Hughes on the, si- on the touchline for Southampton was just kind of 
Like, what the fuck? There's like, they're just switching seats, literally. Yeah, I don't know whether it's agents, whether it's lack of big picture thinking by some of these ownership groups. I The Carvajal signing at, at Swansea clearly has worked wonders when you think about where Swansea was earlier in the season. Ryan, your point is really interesting because I also think that there's been a little bit of a personnel shift in terms of how the top teams acquire talent with the exception of, especially with the way like a Chelsea even a Liverpool with their like you know season after season vampire routine on Southampton, um, I feel like that these teams are are finding it more difficult to retain their cores, not necessarily retain talent because they can always go out and buy more guys and they can buy some dude who's like really good at Marseille will come play for West Ham, yeah. you know. But I think they're having a hard time retaining their identities and their cores. That Swansea team that had been so impressive since Brendan Rodgers brought them up was largely based on this like sort of collection of Spanish players, but also Ashley Williams, you know, a, cu- a couple other guys up the spine that was like, Joe oh, okay, Allen. Joe Allen, this is how they play. And that's kind of been lost. And they're getting it back a little bit. But I do think that sometimes the managers, you have managerial turnover and you have a little bit more player movement because teams like Everton can buy Ashley Williams. Teams like Everton, you know, Everton can buy Gilfie Sigurdsson. Then you lose your you lose your sort of identity when those guys leave. Yeah, well, it's it's like I was saying, like Burnley has a very specific way of playing. Say what you will about it. Um, say what you will about them being lucky. They they play a certain way, and it's worked for them. And Bournemouth also play a certain way. Bournemouth is sort of like. I don't know, Swansea light, you know, which, you know, is maybe not a great way to last in the Premier League. Um, but they, the two teams that kind of have a way of playing are the two that haven't fired mm-hmm. their managers yet. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just like, it just makes me, it's kind of crazy to me that no one has been able to kind of avoid this churn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like Donnie, you said Mark Hughes is now managing Southampton. Southampton was supposed to be the team, right, that was yeah. able to do this. They always signed smart guys from overseas, and we heard about this black box that they had of managers, right? They they knew who their ne- their fourth manager from now was going to mm-hmm. be, right? And then somehow they scrambled to hire Mark Hughes, who basically shoved Stoke into the relegation zone. So even when Southampton's scrambling, it's just like, to me, it's like a... it's. Teams are scared shitless of getting relegated, which is why they're firing their managers. But then they're so scared of actually taking a chance that they're then hiring the guys that the other team that they're competing against just fired. Yeah. You know, it's... it's. Or you could go the Watford route, which is kind of like... Just get a new manager every three months? Yeah. Or, not, or yeah, <laughs> every three or six months and just... But they're not kind of retreads. No, I mean, that, but that's, Uden, that's the Udinese way. That's the sort of yeah. more of Italian football, like the manager is the coach. And if the results aren't working, you get a different coach. I want to ask you, Donnie, do you think that, um, do you think that, w- th- that we are overemphasizing managers, especially in England, like not only in terms of their job security is dependent on like whether or not like a bunch of guys can or can't beat Tottenham, which is pretty hard as Real Madrid learned, but also whether or not 
you know, I mean, like, what, what do we do? We focus too much on managers the way maybe baseball writers focus too much on baseball managers because mm-hmm. there's like an almost an identification with them. They're like, well, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I have I mean, a fantasy baseball team. I would have moved this guy over there. <laughs> like, we're looking. We're like, oh man, why wouldn't you let Pogba cook? But maybe yeah. Mourinho's got his reasons. You know, it's like so with these managers. Do you think that there's almost a little too much scrutiny? I mean, it's hard to say because I mean, I think. In American sports, we definitely, you know, in, in fan forums across the board, NBA, NHL, people are always going to question their coaches. Uh, I do think in, in football, in soccer, in European soccer, in England, it's it's. I was talking to you, Ryan, about this, about how they're more. I mean, this is particularly for the bigger clubs, but there's such embedded cultural institutions that there is a way to play Manchester United football or that or something that the fans feel like is the legacy of the team, even if from top to bottom it's an entirely different club with new personnel and new staff. There's an expectation that they play a certain way, and if they don't play that way, yeah, the manager is the one that's going to be on the hot seat. So. Dude, West Ham, West Ham fans feel that way. Watch West Ham <laughs> fan TV once in a while. We're going to get into talking about two of the hottest strikers in Europe, Mo Salah and Mauro Icardi, with Micah right after this. For over 30 years, men have trusted Just For Men to provide easy, gray care solutions. Now they can trust Just For Men to provide a hair regrowth solution as well. Formulated with the number one dermatologist-recommended ingredient proven to regrow hair, 5% minoxidil, hair regrowth from Just For Men is an easy-to-use topical solution that's clinically proven to help regrow hair. It works by reactivating hair follicles to stimulate regrowth, perfect for men with thinning hair. Plus, with a unique precision spray applicator, this is hair regrowth made easy. Simply spray in, sit back, and move on. Because when you look as good as you feel on the inside, every date night, every meeting, every guy's night out will be something to look forward to. So start winning over thinning. Look for one and three month supplies of hair regrowth in the shave aisle. Or visit jfmgrowhair.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 to get 25% off your purchase. That's jfmgrowhair.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 for 25% off. All right, we're back, and we've made Micah not talk for most of the Manchester United segment, and now he will talk <laughs> during um, the Mo Salah segment. segment. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, the Golden Boot race in Europe heated up over the weekend. Cristiano Ronaldo. It's over now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you mean it's over now? Did, did, did Cristiano Ronaldo not also score four goals? It was... Okay, so Ronaldo scored four goals against Girona in a 6-3 win. Uh, Mo, Mo Salah scored four goals against Watford in a 5-0 win. Each, and after the game, he apologized to the Watford keeper. I don't know if y'all caught this. I did. That was unbelievable. <laughs> he said sorry <laughs> for for being so good at soccer that I just, I'm, I'm sorry I had to do that did to you. Did he apologize to Miguel Britos? I don't think he apologized to Miguel Britos. Okay, so was that on the first or the second goal? Was that the first, was the first. The first, first goal. That was the, that was the Harden crossover. Yeah, first goal, <laughs> he, you know, I just couldn't believe that they kept showing live replays of him killing Miguel Britos on TV. It's just, he cut inside, chopped one time, and Britos' like, knees just Collapsed. disintegrated. But he's like, the best part is Britos is like looking at the ball as he's falling down. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he's just, falling no. off a cliff trying to like grab. It was like down. that, it was like that Wesley Johnson Clippers, like, like the, the oh, Harden crossover motion. Wesley Johnson. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about what makes this guy so special and, and, and how Liverpool 
this is a really good example of, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but, and I know this is Liverpool exceptionalism, but this is like why I am such a huge adherent to Klopp because I do think he gets an extra 5% out of guys. I do think that Salah had this in his bag. I think he was, he's, he'd banged around different clubs in Europe. Well, yeah. I mean, it was, say, like uh, when he scored against Chelsea for FC Basel, it's just like you saw that he's a capable striker right. from the wide position before he went to Chelsea. Then he goes to Chelsea, whatever, goes to Roma, and you have... Tears it up. Yeah, I mean, like, he tears it up, but also you have Ed and Dzeko, and he's, like, the point striker, and mm-hmm. it's not as fluid of a system as he has What's in What's point striker? What do you mean? Like, a kind of 10 playmaker hybrid with a 9? I mean, like, as in target? just target striker. Oh, okay, just yeah, Dzeko is the target guy. Yeah, he's okay. 6'4", and he has decent sure, feet. yeah. Yeah, but, um, I mean, like, going to Liverpool, you have Mane and Firmino, who are willing to do the less glamorous parts of being, like, uh, an attacking player. Mm-hmm. Like, Firmino will win the ball back if he loses it. Like, he's he's going to chase you as far as, like, the halfway line, maybe further. Mane might do that. Salah only did that once during that Watford game. I thought that there was going to be a tape effect on Salah. I thought that after the first time he's, he's you know after the first 15 20 25 games people would have enough tape about the things that he likes to do but he's sort of turning into Aryan Robin where it's like it doesn't matter if you think you know what he's going to do he's just going to do it yeah it's very very robin-esque in the sense that he's like scoring from a striker from the right wing mm-hmm. coming onto his left foot i think Micah sort of nailed it the way that this team is set up is just so perfectly built for him to thrive because they have Firmino who is a number nine, but he drops deep all the time a and has dog man. I just yeah is involved in build up play in a way that like strikers typically aren't. And his movement opens up all of this space for Salah to cut into from the right. And Mane this season has turned into more of a creator. He's assisted Salah six times, so it's sort of like Firmino will get the ball, drop deep, open up space light off to Mane and then Salah makes a run in behind the defense. Mane plays it to Salah and you then you score. Yeah. Um it's just, you know, it's it's kind of wild that he's so twenty eight goals, that's three away from the Premier League record. He also has nine assists. Um so he's like legitimately statistically already had one of the great Premier League seasons and he's, he's also on the verge of having the best statistical attacking season ever. And then you think of the players, Henri, Suarez, and Cristiano Ronaldo. Those are the guys he's competing with. And it's like, he doesn't feel like he's as good as any of those guys. No, right? So I think a lot of it is he's just in the perfect situation to put up these numbers, but you still have to have the ability to be able to do it. There's something about those, those players that you just mentioned that I don't quite think, one of the distinguishing th- the reasons why I don't think Salah's quite there yet is that when you say Henri, Ronaldo, and Suarez, I think of a somebody who can take a, a 0-0 game and change and, it and change it. To take a 1-1 draw and change it. Salah, it's not like he's a flat track bully because he does it against big teams, but I do feel like he is the end product of the of a team that is churning rather than yeah. we have to kick it up to Salah and hope he can do something, which is what you could do with some of those guys, right? Yeah. yeah. But we sort of have seen against Tottenham and then against Watford, he's scored a couple great goals this yeah, season. Yeah, for sure. Also. So, you know, 
it's wild to think that it's statistically he now has this is the best debut season. Yeah, I mean debut like thirty full season. He's past the 07-08 Fernando Torres season, which is literally the best striker season I ever watched. You yeah, know? I mean well, there are better ones, God. but I mean Suarez had thirty one goals and twelve assists uh, in thirteen fourteen. Salah is three goals behind him, three assists behind him. The other seasons that sort of stack up with it are. Henri in 2003-2004, 30 goals, 13 assists. And then the year before, Henri had fucking 24 goals and 25 assists. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we made, I made the Harden joke, and that was actually when you opened up the ESPN Sports Center app on Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. It was the highlight said, Mo Salah turns into James Harden, and it showed the crossover. It was also Harden in terms of his efficiency. Yeah. Uh, mm. Four goals on four shots. Uh, that's biz- that's. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's honestly just <laughs> absurd. I, 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 I don't know. Like, I'm if you can't see, you, you can't see me right now, but I'm just rubbing well, my temples. Well, you also got to respect and, the fact that there's there's something out, out just beautiful about watching a, th- a trident like that work oh, together. Yeah. Watching, yeah. they're they're so perfectly complementary to one another. The team still has its issues. They're probably gonna, I, you know, I assume they're gonna qualify for Champions League. But are you worried about losing him to like a bigger club next season? I said that to Ryan on. I think on Saturday, which is like, this is now I'm legit worried that Real Madrid is just like, what's it cost? And that he's a like, great Real Madrid. I've been waiting for this my entire life. The one thing that everybody has been saying about this particular crop of guys, mm-hmm. the Firmino, Mane, uh, Salah, um, you know, when Nabi comes, like a, a couple of these guys, with, so is that they are the Klopp crop. They are the Klopp yeah. recruiting class. Coutinho and wasn't. Coutinho mm-hmm. wasn't. Is Chan? I don't think he is. No. Mm-mm. So it's like this group of guys, Klopp recruited them. Klopp was the one who was saying, this is what I want from you. And that there would be some implicit, if we're not winning titles in two or three years, your stats will be so bonkers that you can go anywhere you want. PSG, Real yeah. Madrid, Bayern yeah. Munich. You know, And that that is going to be the biggest challenge I think in the next 18 months for Liverpool is to bring in big players that can maybe challenge City, but also keep the biggest players they have from from leaving. Because it's been something that's plaguing them for the last 10 years, is that, that, that they're still a selling club to Barcelona, albeit, but still. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely, they've risen in sort of financial might, which like, I hate that we have to talk about like our our favorite soccer teams in that way, but... You know, they're not. I don't think Liverpool's ever going to lose a player to Chelsea again. That's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. They're basically equal, but there's still the the five teams basically that can take their players. And the thing that worries me is we know that Real Madrid kind of traffics in like the narrative more than any team. Yes. And it's like the more we start start talking about Salah and he's getting these hardened gifts, and now he's him and Messi are the only two people that have. Um, contributed to like 38 goals this season and no one else is even close like the more that that keeps happening the more I think the Real Madrid thing maybe becomes real so we should just never talk never. about it this is the last time we'll ever talk about Salah so let's talk about Mario Cardi instead uh, Mario Cardi also scored four goals this weekend and did it in a shorter amount of time this dude's a, a fucking sl- swag lord he's <laughs> he's also a known piece of shit that, like it's, uh, it's 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 so great because uh, it's okay so context for the four goals he scored against Sampdoria this is the inter number nine Mario Cardi he's oh shit a, I forgot that it yeah, was against Sampdoria it was against Sampdoria go ahead um okay so 
Um, he scored uh, a hat trick in 17 minutes, four goals in 21. Uh, one he completed of those, uh, four passes all game. Four passes. He had no. He had he, he one had, of them was a kickoff. Yeah, it was. He had four passes, four touches, and you can four see goals. As the game goes on. The goal celebrations become not muted, but dudes are like, "All right." <laughs> nice one. It's it's just so it's so good. Like the second one, first of all, the sec the second one was the first was a PK. The second one was this back heel at close range. That, not very, not that close. Okay, corner it, of the it's six. Worth saying. Corner of the it six. It was like he looks at the keeper and he's like ten yards away and he's like, eh. yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this. Uh, yeah, okay, so and it was like harder than most Jordan Henderson shots go. <laughs> Cardi's back heel. Unnecessary. It's just that, like, okay, so uh, he used to play for Sampdoria, and during his time at Sampdoria, became friends. Although his wife Wanda, who is also his manager, more on that in a second, uh, said that he was never like great friends with Maxi Lopez, who was also a member of the Argentine national team, friends with. Javier Mascherano. The, uh, the thing was like Maxi Lopez in the at least in the press was sort of shown as if he was uh, a Cardi's like mentor. Yeah, right? there yeah, you yeah. go. Welcome to there Italy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cardi begins sleeping with Maxi Lopez's estranged wife. Estranged is is uh, you know like I'm going to insert that in there because that's important what Wanda to make said. distinctions on Ringer yeah. FC. Yeah, um, <laughs> and. I mean, like, is posing in pictures with Maxi Lopez's kids, has their faces, like, tattooed mm-hmm. on his arm and stuff. And it's just, like, it's very weird. Very, very weird behavior, right? Uh, so after that, and I think that's in, like, 2012, 2013, he hasn't really gotten a call-up ex- except for, I mean, like, he's just been kind of frozen out of the Argentine national team. Um, so every time he goes back to Sampdoria, he shows his whole ass. Like, it's... Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So he's um, hated basically at yeah. for this. Yeah. He's hated at Inner too, sort of. Not really. Yeah. Used but to be. Used to be. So Wanda is his agent. Right. Wanda Quite is quite an Instagram account. Wanda is his agent and and wife. Um and he's been his name has been kicked around to moving to a big club over the I mean not right. the I mean, like not he, a big club, but moving to, moving clubs. He well, I mean like he's linked with I mean, like, he's another one of those players that just pops up on the sun as linked to Manchester United, but he almost actually moved to Real Madrid during the January transfer window. Um, A lot of cryptic social media posts from him. A lot. A lot. Um, But, I mean, like, you know, he's he's getting to all that, like, you know, sneaky shit. I mean, he had an autobiography, put out an autobiography at 23, or a memoir at 23. The Tim Uh, Tebow. Yeah, and criticized... The most vocal supporters of Inter Milan, the Curva, like their ultras. Always good. Yeah. Um, still had to play in front of them after that, obviously. <laughs> uh, and it was like a game against Cagliari, Cagliari, I think it was. And he missed a, he missed a, they booed him the entire time. He missed a penalty and they cheered. It was great. I love Italy. Uh, he has 103 goals and 180 appearances for Inter. According to Opta via the Inter Milan website, which I, <laughs> I spent some time on last night, uh, since 2012, Accardi scores once every 43 touches. I mean, that seems it's, pretty good. It's remarkable. Um, <laughs> what? If he wasn't such a shitbag, I'd be like, every club in the world Everyone. should be trying to sign him. Everyone. I, I actually don't know if that's true. Okay. How many good, like, 
The only team I can think of is Real Madrid that has a player that basically doesn't do anything on the field other than score, and it's Cristiano Ronaldo. But Cristiano Ronaldo is taking seven shots a game, like an insane number of shots, and none of these other every other team in the world like the way soccer is moving you need a you need all of your players to contribute to sort of every facet of the game and Icardi just Does scores not. a lot <laughs> but but he's not like if you're only scoring my thing is don't you kind of have to be scoring at like the very very elite rate and yeah. he's just not doing that yeah, well, he does contribute to locker room harmony. <laughs> uh, he contributes to extracurricular social planning and fan engagement. So this is true. I would love to see this guy. You know, Inter's ultras are not to be fucked not about to with. Be fucked with, but they'll show up at your house. I would, I would love to see this dude. I can't wait till this dude like inevitably goes to Turkey. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this is gonna be th- that's gonna be incredible. Yeah, he's, oh. he's got Bashiktas all over him. He's right. gonna have to have a, like a whole security detail. <laughs> We're gonna talk about some of the best fans in the United States next, as we take an unexpected but very welcome jump to MLS. All right, story time. The other week I was in a hotel and, you know, uh, the Valspar tournament was on. Tiger was making this run. All these people in the hotel bar were watching the Valspar tournament. And out of the corner of my eye, I noticed like, a couple of people at the end of the bar kind of getting really amped. And I was looking over and it was the D.C. United versus Atlanta United game. And I started watching it. And I was like, holy shit, this is pretty, pretty good stuff Atlanta United is playing. And I became even though I guess technically I should be a Philadelphia Union fan and I will regret saying this on a podcast, (laughs) I became right then and there an Atlanta United fan. So we wanted to bring our resident MLS expert, Matt James, who's one of the designers over at The Ringer, to talk to us a little bit about Atlanta United's early season success, I guess, if you want to call it that, and what makes them different from some of the other MLS teams and why why I had this reaction. Ryan, have you got a chance to watch them at all? Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... It really is a, f- a phenomenon, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Um, that we like MLS now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, that we're talking about it. Um, they, I think Atlanta United has the three highest attended games in MLS history, yeah. mm-hmm. and they reset the record with their opener, the game that you famously watched in a hotel. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's what they talk about in Atlanta. They're, they're, like, they're managed by Tata Martino, who previously went, his managerial chain was Barcelona, Argentina, Atlanta United. Yeah, <laughs> as, they, um, as you do, yeah. And they have a ton of uh, young, talented South American players. Actually, a ton of young, talented American players yeah. um, and some sort of good journeyman-ish uh, MLS players. And it's just combined with the way they play, which is a very sort of attacking style, and the craziness of this, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's kind of a... A really sort of infectious way of approaching the game. I wonder for Matt, who is the most hardcore MLS fan, I think I know. Like, <laughs> there aren't that many. You've out been here. there since day one, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I was a Metro Stars guy. I think I, I went to, I was a, at a birthday party when I was a little kid as a, uh, a ball boy for the Metro Stars. The New York slash New Jersey Metro New York, Stars. New Jersey Metro Stars. Is it, is it exciting for you seeing a, team come into MLS and have all this excitement around it? Or are you kind of like, 
you have to fucking earn this shit. Uh, it's <laughs> well, uh, I'll say both. Uh, yeah. On the one hand, yeah, it's it's extremely exciting to see uh, a team generate this much interest in a city. Like, yeah, drawing seventy two thousand fans to an MLS game is that's better that's than absurd. most NFL teams yeah. draw. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's crazy, and uh, just seeing the energy and the in that arena is is absolutely unprecedented. Yeah, and it also makes me uh, extraordinarily jealous as yeah. a as a New York <laughs> Red Bulls fan. Uh, Red Bull Arena is famously empty. Yeah, uh, you know we're in the Concacaf Champions League, and we're through to the semifinals, and people aren't really. Fill in the stands, up. yeah, uh, for that. So uh, that's a little disappointing. I'm I'm sure Galaxy fans can uh, relate a little bit too with LAFC coming in, and and you know once that arena is open, they'll probably pack that yep. beautiful new arena yep. while the Galaxy uh, struggle this season, most likely. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen anything like Atlanta, and it, it seems that uh, you know it's not a guarantee in this league that you. Open a new team up and and it yeah works this well. It's one of the things that they've done, and we wrote about this last year, Ryan. Uh, I think it was Stephen Knox who wrote that mm-hmm. piece on Atlanta United for the Ringer. Uh, they have gone away from what had been the tradition in MLS, which is to bring in your Pirlos, your Henri's, your aging European superstar to kind of mm-hmm. catch the eye of either the casual sports fan or the European soccer fan who wants to come see someone that they know. And they've invested in young talent in a really cool way. And through Darren Eagles, who I think was who has worked at Tottenham, and through Boca Negra, yep. who's their technical director, and through yep. Martino, have brought in kind of some South American talent at the peak of their powers. I yeah. mean, you look at Miguel Almiron. I mean, I, he looks like he could play for a lot of teams across Europe. Yeah. yeah. And you look at Joseph Martinez. That kid is like. A pretty powerful fr- in front of goal striker. He's he had already a out to six goals. He just yeah. had a hat trick. He has four hat tricks in twenty three games. So that's a hat trick in seventeen yeah. percent of the games. He's I mean, and, and, <laughs> and last season he was absolutely outstanding yeah. before his injury. Uh, and you know they they there was only one uh, there was only one home game uh, at uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium when they were shut out, uh, and that happened to be in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is like a goal-scoring machine, this team. Yeah, uh, they have Darlington Nagby. They've got Carrollton coming off the bench usually, but he had a lovely assist the other day. Yeah. Uh, they they play vertical. They they remind me of, you know, I think when you, you were probably growing up, coming through like the youth soccer ranks, typically if you were like an under-talented team, wouldn't they ask you to try and maintain a defensive shape, minimize mistakes, right. keep it close and see if you could steal it? Yeah, <clears throat> a lot of long balls. And they seem like they're like, let's score four and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, they opened the season against the Dynamo, and they got kind of blown out yeah. there. Uh, they were playing a 4-2-3-1 in that. Uh, and since that game, uh, Tata changed it up and has been playing a 3-5-2. Um, that has uh, been <laughs> really paying off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's likely to continue. But speaking to the, your, your mention of, of, of them bringing in uh, young South Americans... Uh, one of their biggest signings uh, this offseason was uh, this guy, Ezekiel Barco. Um, and uh, that was actually set the record for the MLS transfer fee. Oh, really? It was mm-hmm. $12 million. Um, and this is this trend that's happening. Like, you know, the designated players, uh, 
used to be, you know, David Beckham. They used to be, and it's still happening a little bit with David Villa and, you know, New York City. Sure. Uh, but the trend now is towards all of these really talented young Pick South Americans. Pick up an Argentine guy for, yeah. for however much it costs from Independiente. Yeah. Barco comes from Independiente. Yeah, well, now it's kind of like MLS is sort of, it's now an option for these guys. Like, rather than Barco going and playing for, like, Genoa or something in Italy, you can go to Atlanta United play in front of 70,000 people. Hell yeah. Get managed by a great manager. Be on television. Um, and make a ton of money. It's 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 definitely... I feel like all of the lessons... There are a lot of good lessons to be learned from Atlanta United. I would... I would oh, yeah. I would really hope that there there is a... And, you know, Bob Radley's been doing really well with LAFC for the first couple of matches, but it would be really cool to see some of these clubs say, you know what, like, there's a salary cap, there's, it's hard to attract European talent maybe to America in their prime. Mm-hmm. But A, let's look at South and Central America. B, what about a coach? What about a coach who's like like Martino, who's maybe kicked around a little bit? There's not a big club opening. He puts himself in the shop window in Atlanta. Yeah, I, maybe he's not going to get hired by intern off of an Atlanta United job. Yeah. But it's... He doesn't seem to want Atlanta's a nice city, you yeah. know, and and you can make your own team here. Maybe you have a little bit of leverage to build your own club. Vieira's done that in New York, right? And and you could see Tata really having something here. Yeah, yeah and it, you know, the whole sort of idea of bringing in big-name players is to attract fans, right? Like, it was never like... Like, FC Dallas wasn't signing Denielson because they were like, I mean, he was lighting it up at Real Betis. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like he played for Brazil. Uh, it seems like it makes sense. You know, even the Rafa Marquez signing, which I can't Ugh. believe I'm bringing up in front of you. That's, <laughs> I was having a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> like, those are more, it's more like a marketing thing. And, like, obviously the Beckham signing worked from a marketing standpoint, yeah. but that's like an alien thing that you really can't compare anything sure. to. But with this team, it's like... No one is going to the Atlanta games because they were like, oh, shit, uh, Joseph Martinez is on the team. They're going to the games because the team's fun to watch, and they're learning who Joseph Martinez is yeah. through watching the games. Yeah. And that's just like a, a much there's another sus- important reason why they're going to the games. This is very important. Okay. You can get a domestic beer for $5 at that stadium. <laughs> well, I think that's actually That the, is actually an incredible. All, <laughs> all right, Matt, thanks for coming on, and we'll have oh, to have pleasure. you on a bunch of other times to talk about other MLS teams, especially LAFC. And of course, your Red Bulls. Woo! Last Friday, the Champions League quarterfinals draw took place. And to talk about it, it's going to be me, Ryan, and Donnie Kwok. So, Ryan, talk me into a Liverpool victory over two legs of the city. Uh, Liverpool four, Manchester City three. That's yeah. all you need. So, you need, <laughs> they have to win a two legged shootout with Manchester City. Yeah, I think so. I mean, as we saw with Sevilla, Man U, uh, over two legs, managers can kind of do wonky things or mm-hmm. try to, like, put the handbrake on it. I don't think Pep—I mean, Pep, you could see him sort of just trying to have, like, 80% possession and just keep the ball away, but that's a terrible idea against Liverpool because they're going to steal the ball. And Klopp is just, like— if Klopp could play defensive, that would, he would have played <laughs> like, defensive. Yeah, he would have invented so Facebook. I, I think it'll be a, it'll be, <laughs> yeah, it'll be a, an entertaining, uh, like a super entertaining two legs. It's just, it's disappointing from the standpoint of, like, so if Liverpool wins, 
that means we're never going to get to see this Manchester City team play a Bayern Munich, a Barcelona, a Real Madrid. And if Liverpool doesn't win, we're not going to get to see the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just like it's it's where I guess it's a guarantee that an English team is going to be in the semifinals. But I just we've seen these teams play twice already. And, you know, we're kind of trying to gauge where the Premier League is in relation to the other leagues. It would have been nice to see both of these teams play other teams, I For think. For sure, yeah. Uh, as far as the other matchups go, the Bayern-Sevilla one would seem to be the biggest walk. But Bayern have lost on their last five trips to Spain, and Sevilla have never lost at home uh, to visitors from Germany, which I thought was also, pretty interesting. Like, do we have any idea how good Bayern Munich is? I have it's, no it's, idea. The Bundesliga is league uh yeah. at this point. right. Donnie, do you have any? Do you, do you, would you would you allocate at any capital to steal a Joe Houseism on Sevilla? Just a cheeky bet? No, they're they're gonna be routed. Okay, <laughs> Juve Real in what feels like uh, the, the rematch, the like season nine Grey's Anatomy version of the Champions League yeah. is Juve, Juventus versus Real. This is starting to turn into quite the rivalry. It's eight Juventus wins versus nine Real Madrid wins and two draws. It's the repeat of last season's final and Ronaldo is pretty good when it comes to playing the old lady. Uh, this feels like the battle of the two teams that always pull a result out of their ass in the Champions League. Right. So Could be entertaining then. Yeah, I think so. I mean... This could be the last Champions League campaign for both Zidane and Allegri in these, for these clubs. That's true. Uh, we could see a much different Real Madrid team next year if all these rumors about Bale and various other players are true. Yeah, uh, that's and what this, I was gonna say. It feels like kind of like a a, a transitional or like end of a yes, yeah, like a era. Fin de Yeah, 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 yeah. I, do you have a feeling about who's gonna come out of this one, Donnie? For me, I never bet against Ronaldo, the greatest player in the world. Mm. Ryan, I can't tell if that's a bit. Go ahead, uh, Ryan. Doesn't. I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan says all he does is score goals. I think Real Madrid and, win, and win big matches. Real Madrid's going to win this 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 tie. So you got City, Bayern, Madrid, and then uh, we have this this tasty little Roma Barca. A lot of lot of uh, swapped energies here. You know, Luis Enrique went from Roma to Barca, is no longer the manager there. Valverde is managing Barcelona. There have been four previous UEFA meetings with one Barca win, one Roma win, and two draws. The most recent time they played was the 2015-16 group stage, and Barca won 6-1 at Camp Nou. Uh, I think Barcelona is on fire. I would love to see Roma mix it up with them, but this seems like a walk. Yeah, I I think Barcelona is going to win pretty easily, but the fun thing about this Barcelona team is that they are, they feel vulnerable in a way that other Barcelona teams haven't. I mean, other than, I guess, last year's team. Like, even against Chelsea, you know, Barcelona just needed to control the game and see it out. And Chelsea, like, was moving the ball downfield and into Barcelona's uh, final third pretty often. And we've kind of been ragging on Chelsea for just not having an attack. Uh, for a couple weeks, so you know, Roma's been playing really well uh, most points in Serie A since the start of February. They trucked Napoli recently, so I think there's... Handsome goalkeeper? Extremely handsome future Liverpool goalkeeper. Uh, and he, he is a great goalkeeper. So I think I think there's maybe a little bit of upset potential here, but uh, Usman Dembele is kind of starting to get into full gear, which is uh, kind of an unfair addition for a, a team like Barcelona. Yeah. Donnie, any any feelings on this one? 
I think that this could has a little bit of upset potential. I don't really have any support for that statement other than just a feeling. And Ed and Deco, I like him. So, uh, thanks for listening to today's episode of Ringer FC. We will be back in two weeks. Until then, make sure all your back heels go through the back of the net. Hair regrowth from Just For Men is an easy-to-use topical solution that's clinically proven to help regrow hair. Formulated with the number one dermatologist-recommended ingredient proven to regrow hair, 5% minoxidil, it works by reactivating hair follicles to simulate regrowth, perfect for men with thinning hair. Plus, with a unique precision spray applicator, this is hair regrowth made easy. Simply spray in, sit back, and move on. Start winning over thinning. Look for hair regrowth in the shave aisle or visit jfmgrowhair.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 to get 25% off your purchase.